Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 179. And today, we are joined by Tim Woods, a whitetail outfitter, a land specialist for whitetail properties, a blood tracking dog handler, and an all-around super serious deer hunter. And we're discussing the whitetail rut, advice for tracking wounded deer, and much more. All right, welcome to another episode of the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today in the show, we are joined by Tim Woods. He's an outfitter for Huntmasters Lodge. He's a land specialist for Whitetail Properties. He's filmed in the past for Drury Outdoors and now Whitetail Edge, and he is just an all-around very serious whitetail hunter. And today, we're going to be catching up with Tim to discuss all things related to hunting the whitetail rut and tracking wounded deer because he's got a a couple, I believe, blood tracking dogs he takes all across his area helping people recover deer. So I think he's going to have some interesting things to share on that front as well. But uh, before all that, we need to take a few minutes here for our weekly pregame show with yours (laughs) truly and Dan Johnson of the Nine Ginger Chronicles. So (laughs) how are you, man? I wonder how many people are actually going to type the Nine Ginger Chronicles into a search (laughs) here pretty soon. I hope a lot. (laughs) And I hope your face pops up. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. (laughs) What's new, dude? Dude, who cares? Wait, look, before, I don't want to talk about me right now. I want to talk about you. What's okay. uh, Holyfield, 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 what's up? <laughs> All right, the Holyfield updates, uh, short and, and short and bittersweet. Yeah. Um, so my plan was to start hunting him on Tuesday the 24th. Yeah. Tuesday the 24th has huge cold front come through. Temperatures were like 20 degrees cooler than they were over the weekend, but had pretty heavy rains and heavy wind. So I spent the day debating whether or not I should still go out, and in the end, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go for it, because I hope that that wind's going to die down a little bit, and if the rain dies down a little bit, it could end up being really good. And I had what I thought was a safe place to hunt in this general area. So I headed in there, got up in the tree, and within like 20 minutes, I was like, you know what, this is way worse than the forecast said. The gusts were really, really strong. It had to be 25-mile-an-hour gusts maybe. And I noticed that it was starting to get dangerously close to swirling towards a bad place. Um, and I just sat there debating for like 20 minutes and just decided, you know, it is not worth screwing things up on a night like this for the future. So I pulled everything out and snuck back out and headed out for the night. <clears throat> so that was night number one. Didn't get to hunt at all, really. Yeah. Uh, night number two was tonight. The winds were supposed to die down. Again, still nice and cool. Um, so I headed in and and with the wind direction we had the best spot I could hunt, the safest place I could hunt in this general area was my redneck, um, box blind, this, this elevated box blind. So I thought, all right, I'm going to hunt that blind. So I sneak in there, I climb in. And as soon as I climb in, I, I hear something and I look up at the ceiling and all of a sudden I see there's bees all over the place inside of this <laughs> blind. <laughs> so I panic and I scurry out of that. Um, and then I'm like, well, what in the heck am I going to do tonight? Because that was like the one place I thought I could safely hunt. Um, 
and I, you know, I, I had all my stuff with me for a box blind hunt. So I had a tripod for my camera. I didn't have a tree stand harness or anything. So I had to go all the way back to my house and swap out my gear, get all the stuff for a tree stand hunt. And then I had to wait like an hour and a half before the wind was supposed to shift a little bit, which I thought then would allow me to hunt one of my tree stands. The wind did sort of shift. Um, so I snuck in there and just got in there late got into one of my favorite stands, the stand that I've, that I've had these multiple shot opportunities at Holyfield for in the past. But long story short, I did not see him. Um, saw some does, saw a couple year-and-a-half-old bucks, saw one two-and-a-half-year-old buck that's been all over the place, and he chased some does out in the field. Um, and that was it. It was, a, it was a pretty uneventful night compared to what I was expecting, given how good the conditions were. So right. kind of disappointing, but it is what it is. It's uh, it's it's disappointing on a macro level, or a micro level, but on a macro level, like I have a feeling that all these you know all these little steps lead to lead to something. I agree. <coughs> as long as I don't die. <coughs> <coughs> oh man! Is, is your next uh, sponsor going to be like a cigarette company? <coughs> no, I'm <laughs> the exact opposite. I'm drinking. Some warm apple cider. (laughs) (laughs) And it went down the wrong pipe. (laughs) Wow. Excuse me. On this episode, we listened to Mark cough for five minutes. (laughs) All right. Hopefully that's it. Uh, But yes, to your point, hopefully this is just one step. Hopefully I didn't um, make too many mistakes. It was was unfortunate that uh, I had the issue yesterday and then tonight had to come in and out twice. But... um, you know, sometimes when things are going wrong, all of a sudden you get surprised with something going really white, right? So, Absolutely. I've got uh, I've got some wind directions that should allow me to hunt him at least again tomorrow, um, and then maybe later in the week or in the weekend. So uh, I'll be keeping after him. Hopefully things pick up here soon. But uh, yeah, what about you? Last time we uh, talked, you were saying that you were going to kill that October lull buck to prove everybody wrong. Did you do it? Well. I only got to hunt one day out of that whole quote unquote period of October little period. But, um, man, I was in the right spot. I'll tell you that it just that the, uh, the, and I, I think I told you this in a, in a text message or an email, think of a, a triangle, right? With a flat part on the bottom and the point that goes straight up. Mm-hmm. So the point on the top was the, is a bedding area. Okay, and then there's two trails that come out of this bedding area. Go, then they go down uh, different parts of the ridge. And I was set up on the right hand side, and we had what what looked like a shooter go down the left hand side, and then another buck that I couldn't tell what he was. Uh, work work is you know I, all I saw was the tips of the antlers. I couldn't tell if it was mature, and, and he was kind of in some real tall CRP. Um, tons of does. And then last night I, to get out of the wind, I went back to, uh, a stand that I set earlier in the year. Um, and dude, again, money does all over, um, heard grunting in the woods and it almost sounded like some light chasing, but I never did see the deer that was making that noise. And then as I'm just randomly glassing, I see some antlers pop up and down and, uh, all I could see was the face of this buck and 
parts of his antlers, but not the whole head at one time. So, uh, and I couldn't hardly see the body at all cause he was in some really thick stuff, but the face looked really, really old. He was about 80 yards away and, um, he was raking a tree and then he, he dropped down behind me and then went into a, a cornfield. Uh, and then by that time it was dark out. So I did, I tried, That's I put good. my, I put myself in the best possible stands, uh, with the information that I had. Uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't get it done. So I guess, uh, the October lull does exist <laughs> because I didn't kill a deer. That's, that's gotta be it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's encouraging though, that at least you were seeing some, right. seeing some action, man. I'll tell you what, this has been maybe my slowest start to a whitetail season in recent memory. I still have not seen a shooter buck yet all year. Yeah. Um, so, so that's hopefully going to change soon. Yeah. But you've only hunted in Michigan, right? Uh, in and in Montana and Montana. Yeah. Okay. So. I'll take that back. I'll take that back. I saw one shooter while I was in Montana, way off in the distance. Okay. Okay. So, obviously, in a way, this is still uh, kind of early. And I think, I, like I mentioned before, uh, October 28th uh, of last year was the first time I had any daylight pictures of a shooter on camera. So, obviously, depending on where your camera's at, that's an indicator of when these big boys, the mature bucks, are going to be on their feet. However... Man, I got a big, big buck on trail camera consistently right now, about two hours after sunset, after dark, coming through. So my my thought is, and that's I'm talking about one particular uh, trail camera, and uh, and I, I sent you the picture of him. Oh, dude, he's uh, yeah, he's 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 not big, big. He's like big, 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 big. <laughs> And and he's a main he's a mainframe eight with a split uh, G two that's all he is right it's but stupid. he's just gigantic yeah uh, big old body on him I mean he's mature for sure and uh, um, I think that if everything goes like it did the past couple years like I have history with this area and I it's like I know what the bucks are going to be doing and I think that th- this buck is going to start showing up in daylight hours somewhere between the November 1st and November 5th time frame. So I'm going to be in that area, hopefully towards the end of that area is when my vacation starts of that, that time frame. But the other thing is I pulled another trail camera uh, card uh, before I went and hunted uh, uh, last night and Man, I got another and nothing gigantic in the antler department, but what I think are two more four-year-olds consistently on camera in daylight already. Oh, so, yeah, so uh, and it's in a standing cornfield. Can you get out there and hunt those guys sooner? I, I, and this is where it sucks. I cannot hunt until. Let me check my. Uh, All right, while, while you're doing that, while you're doing yeah. that, this is this is just for the audience. This isn't for you. Um, but I just want everyone listening to know that I can be held accountable to my obligations because I did send Dan his babysitting check to yes. guarantee him some hunting opportunities. So so now I'm going to take your words from last weekend, Dan. I'm going to throw it right back at you. No excuses. <laughs> okay. No excuses. You got to hunt these bucks. Oh, yeah, and I will. I'm going to. Uh, 
I, I just hope that the ne- between now and the next time that these bucks uh, that I get down there to hunt, the um, uh, the corn in that area hasn't been picked because I think that if that corn gets picked, then those deer are gone to a different farm. Yeah. So when's the next hunt? This weekend or no? No, this weekend is a wedding, Yank. Uh, uh, yeah. So the next time I will be able to hunt is November 3rd. Oh, so it's it's basically that time from when you got to get after that other one. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and you know, the first thing I do when I start my vacation every year is I pull cards on most of my, depending on if they're intrusive or not, I'm going to pull my cards, I'm going to look at them and see what's on there. Um, I, I'm kind of hoping for a little more rain so that corn stays in that field just a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then hopefully by the time I check my other two cameras in the, the area where that big boy's coming through, uh, the goal I mean, would, would hopefully to pop in there and then wait for uh, a south, southwest wind. And that's when that's when uh, I think he likes to, to visit that area is on a southwest wind. Well, I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's going to happen soon yeah, i mean this is it we're, we're we're next week even right now i think it's going to be pretty good in a lot of places with this cold front and i think next week it's it's game time right it's the right. super bowl time to grind yep and your your vacation is that third through the following sunday you got that whole week off and weekends is that right well this is where it gets good for me i have let's see i will start hunting november 3rd and i took vacation all the way to November, uh, 24th, which is Thanksgiving. So I don't have to be back to work till November 27th. So I, (laughs) I technically have, I technically have three weeks to hunt, but I think the wife said I can have two weeks this year. That's, that's that's good. I know. That's good. So that, that should, uh, that should allow me to get after it and start, the process that I like to do. And that's, you know, hunt a buck until he doesn't, until he stops showing up and then move to another one. Hopefully you just hunt that buck till he stops showing up cause he's dead. Yeah. That, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> As in you killed him. <laughs> so I'd let's, love it. let's make that happen, dude. Yeah, dude. And it's almost like I look at my phone at night. Uh, I look at my phone even when I kind of wake up when I have to go feed my son and I hit this little button on my phone and it will show all the messages and I'm just like waiting for you to text me just like a (laughs) got got him or something like that with a, with a picture of a bloody arrow and then I'll pee myself. Man, I I can't wait to send that text message and then I'll pee myself. So, (laughs) (laughs) ah, man, I'm, I don't know. I thought, I thought I'd see him tonight, but uh, here's what we need to do. It's hunting, right? Yeah. Here's what we need to do. We need to both kill. You kill Holyfield, and I'll kill a decent buck this year, and then we'll celebrate the next time. I think we're gonna next time we see each other is at the ATA show. Yeah. And we'll we'll celebrate with some brewskis. I think that's a good plan. All right, man. Well, we're gonna have to shut this intro down because we need to give Tim a call. Um, and I know you've got a you've got a bounce, so I'm gonna run solo from here from here on out. But let's plan on talking again next week and having at least I'll have some good stories for you, and then you can tell me about your plan about uh, your vacation, which will be starting that week, which I'm excited to hear all about. 
So let's toss it over real quick to Spencer to hear our Sitka story, and then we'll give Tim a call. For this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Nick Kravitz, who tells us about a turkey hunt that ended at two yards. So it was this spring, and I decided that I wanted to try to get my first turkey with the bow. And uh, I'd already got one in Florida, one in Tennessee, and I was actually... It was, I believe, a Sunday. I'm not sure. But anyway, nonetheless, I went to New York, which is a neighboring state to me where I'm currently living in Pennsylvania. And I went out there with the bow with my cousin Tanner. And uh, right off the bat, we heard birds gobbling off the roost. And we were actually running a little bit late. I had seen this bird fly down from like 125 yards. So I real quick set out my decoys right beside me about 10 yards away. And I kind of leaned up against a tree looking to this path that I thought for sure was going to come up. And uh, so I called a few times and he was coming in, coming in every time I called and I realized my face mask wasn't up. So I put it up and I called one more time and he was to the right of me, 10 yards. And this turkey walked right behind me at two yards, right into my decoys. And immediately as he put his head behind his tail fin and full strut, I just shot and I got my first turkey with the bow. So it was pretty awesome. On Nick's hunt, he was wearing Sika's Equinox system. If you'd like to create a Sitka story of your own, or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel, visit sitkagear.com. All right, now with us on the line is Tim Woods. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And and we were just we were just talking a second ago before I started recording, walking through, just making sure I had all my information right as far as all the different things you are doing these days, because it sounds like you are just a very, very busy guy. All things related to whitetails, too. So it's a good thing, but you got to be a little bit uh, worn out with all these different things going on, huh? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, towards the, towards the end of the year, uh, you know, I, I'm to the point where I'm ready to be done for a little bit. And then uh, and then the, the fire gets going again. And, you know, once the snow starts to melt, and or, you know, get to shed hunting a little bit. And then, the, you know, that, that fire gets blazing again, and you're right back after it. So... You know, it does get a little redundant, you know, every once in a while, but uh, for the most part, it's a labor of love. Yeah, yeah. At least, at least everything you're involved in, it sounds like, is uh, is closely related to our to our love of whitetails. Um, and and I, I briefly introduced you before we brought you on, but can you kind of walk us through a little bit of your background and and what you all the different things you're doing today? Well, today I'm, uh, you know, basically uh, you know working for an outfitter here in West Central Ohio. We've got uh, four counties that most of our properties are in, uh, Logan, Champaign, Union, and Shelby counties for the kind of the counties that we focus on. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, we got, you know, we don't do, we don't hunt every week like a lot of outfitters, you know, or a lot of people may think we do. Um, you know, we're not, uh, you know, we're, I guess it'd be, uh, you know, less is more, you know, obviously when it comes to trying to kill big deer, um, we don't hunt a lot. You know, we just hunt when the big deer are on their feet. And, uh, you know, like I said, we, you know, with Ohio, you got a four month long deer season, but you know, we might only hunt, I think we hunt like nine total weeks out of the year with guys in camp. So we're not just, you know, it's not just a, like a puppy mill. We're just running guys in and out like crazy, you know? (laughs) So we're, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we, you know, we have a lot invested in our properties and, you know, we're trying to kill older class deer. So, uh. And the guys that hunt with us too, you know, we've had the same guys for, you know, going on 10 years. So it's more like a, 
almost more like a club, really. You know, the same guys year after year coming out with us. So, uh, you know, it's not so much like outfitting, you know. You know, we look forward to seeing the guys again, you know, after not seeing them for a whole year and they come. And, and it's just, just like, you know, being at home, you know, here as far as the camp atmosphere. But, uh, you know, I do, do the outfitting stuff. And then uh, I've got some uh, recovery dogs, too, uh, some bloodhound recovery dogs that, uh, that I dabbled into uh you know, a few years ago, I, you know, outfitting, you, you always, you know, you always have a, you know, a deer that you, you know, the way the hunter explains it, you know, with the shot and everything, you, you're like, man, I know that deer's dead and I just can't find it. So I, uh, took it amongst myself and, uh, and got a pup and trained it myself and, uh, through the help of, you know, social media and some other guys that, you know, just bought the tips and stuff that they did with their dogs in the past. And, you know, it turned out, you know, that I got, got lucky, really lucky with one of my dogs, and she's just, uh, she's phenomenal. You know, her name's Sis. She's four years old, and she's at, like, 92 recoveries right now. So she's, uh, wow. she's legit. She, yeah, she'd probably be, she'd probably be really good if she didn't have to be tied to me. But <laughs> yeah. uh, here <laughs> here in Ohio, we have a leash law. You know, they, they would consider it hunting with a dog if you didn't have them on a leash. So, you know, if we have to have a leash, and uh, like I said, it's, if she didn't have to be tied to me, she'd probably be uh, that much better. But and then uh, then with Whitetail Edge, I just film it when I can, you know, uh, to show that I'm doing with Ben Rising. Um, you know, he really needs no introduction. Ben's Ben's uh, he's a, a big deer killing machine. That's oh, what yeah. he just eats, breathes, and sleeps. It you know the guy's a that's just what he does. Uh, you know, and I, I love it when he kills big deer. You know, he's a you know he he works hard at it. So he deserves every big one that he kills. That's for sure. And, uh, yeah, I just, just trying to help him as far as the footage goes and, uh, taking care of sponsors on that end and, and raising two kids. My wife works full time. I've got a 13 year old daughter and 11 year old boy. And they're into every sport possible. So, so we're, we're a busy team over here in Ohio. It sounds like it. And then, and then are you still yeah. working with whitetail properties as well too? Absolutely. Yep. Whitetail properties. I'm a land specialist with whitetail properties here. I've got, uh, actually I've got a fairly big territory over here in West Central Ohio. I've, uh, I covered nine counties. Uh, it's pretty much, if you just look on a map, like a county map, I go from uh, like Morrow, uh, Delaware, Union, Logan, Shelby, Champaign, uh, what is it? Green and Madison counties, counties. Um, I've got a fairly large territory over here that I'm, that I'm covering and, uh, there's some, some phenomenal deer, some really nice, you know, recreational type properties on this side of the state that, uh, you know, granted this side of the state, uh, the land's not cheap, you know, like they always say, they're not making any more of it, but, uh, it's, uh, there's some really, really good deer over here and some really good properties that are spitting out some monsters. I've heard a lot of good things about that area. It's not quite as well known as maybe, you know, just east of Columbus or maybe, you know, down in the far south. But uh, I keep on hearing good things about that, that you know, west central. I've been I've been interested in trying to head out that way one of these days, too. I've hunted south of you quite a bit. Um, and speaking of that, Tim, I don't know if you remember this. You probably don't because you get so many calls. But you were actually um, involved in one of the most... Um, trying times of my deer hunting career a handful of years ago um (laughs) i shot at the time was my largest buck ever um this would have been 2014 i guess it was down in southern ohio 
and uh, was not able to find him. So that next day, I uh, was trying to find someone with a tracking dog. And you and me talked on the phone for a while. You, you had something going on. You couldn't actually help me out um, because of your yeah, allegations. Yeah, I, I think. I, yeah, I think I remember. I think I had. Uh, I think I had hunters in camp, and it was just so hard for me to get away. Um, and, and Casey, uh, the guy that I'm partners with, with the bloodhound deer trackers, I remember him, uh, he told me about it and it was, you guys ended up finding that deer, didn't you not? Well, we, we didn't find him until the following February, unfortunately. Gotcha. Um, we, gotcha. I, I had a different guy come down with his dog that day and we tracked for a good long ways, but, but never could connect the dots. And then, yeah, the next February, maybe, maybe it was early March, late February, early March, we went back shed hunting and ended up finding him right right in kind of the core of the property and we'd walked by that area a thousand times looking and um either we somehow missed him or he didn't come back till like the next day or something um sure but, sure but and, yeah. that, and that happens a lot of times a lot of times if you know if you know i can't remember where that was that deer hit in the liver intestine or the liver gut yeah i think it was intestines yeah yeah especially with with intestines it's just it sometimes it can take you know 36 48 hours sometimes for them things to die you know they can they can be sick for a long time and just you know and just walk around and so yeah that been could have been uh, one of those scenarios but yeah that's you know, that's a bad deal and that's part of you know it's going to happen yeah you know, it, and uh you know and, and i remember you know i remember that was a that was a really big deer yeah yeah, it's a it's a bad deal when that happens. But uh, I just remember had a good phone call with you, and you were really helpful, at least walking through different thoughts on it and stuff. And sure, and uh, you know, one of these days, well, hopefully, I'm not in need of a blood tracking dog. But uh, if I ever <laughs> do, I will try giving you a call again and, and see if it happens to work out. But I want to talk about blood tracking dogs. I want to talk about what you're doing with the outfitting side of things. Honestly, there's a mm-hmm. lot of different things I want to talk about. Um, so I guess uh, first I'm curious, I always feel like outfitters must have a really interesting perspective because of the fact that you're not just kind of hunting for yourself. In some way you're involved with many, many other people's hunts and you're hearing about how things are going probably. And you're, you're kind of tracking and planning and things. I'm curious, I guess, I guess number one, how involved are you with that? I mean, are you actually helping individual guys out with where they're headed and everything, or is there somebody else on the team that does that? And then number two, if you are involved in that, what have you been seeing so far this year for your clients and your hunters? Well, pretty much, um, you know, if if I'm not doing something with the real estate with Whitetail properties, I'm on on the properties that we're outfitting on. Um, I'm babysitting them. I'm taking care of them. I mean, I when I say I'm on them. I'm not walking around on them. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just maintaining them. I, you know, checking the cameras, planting the food plots, uh, do all the stand prep and so forth. Pretty, pretty much everything from A to Z on the properties that we outfit on. Um, and then, you know, and basically when my guys come into camp, you know, they roll into camp and, you know, and I'm showing pictures of deer, uh, potential deer that are of age that we want to try and target, um, while they're here. Um, and obviously you're going to have some deer pop up, you know, during a rut this time of year that, you know, let's say a cornfield gets cut a half a mile away and all of a sudden that deer's, you know, that deer's in your timber. But a lot of, a lot of times when guys roll in camp, basically all, I mean, I literally, I take them right to the, to the stands, you know, either, either I get them to the tacks in the morning and, you know, and I slip them in there and get them in the set or in the evenings, a lot of times I, I drive them right to the stand. You know, for hunting a you know hunting a field edge or something, so just to eliminate foot traffic. But basically, my you know basically, I'm the one that's killing the deer, you know, so to speak. But those 
those are the guys they're just pulling the trigger on the deer mm-hmm. you know and, that, and that's why they're coming you know they don't live here they're you know they're only you know when i tell guys when they come into camp i said uh you know you're not here for a long time you're here for a good time you know <laughs> so in that and you know and, and and they trust us you know what i mean that's what they're paying for um you know we try to provide a good hunt and uh you know and, and put try you know do our best to put a mature animal in front of them in the six days that they're here that's gotta be that's gotta be a lot of fun. At least for for me, like as much as I enjoy pulling the trigger and actually killing you know a deer that I've been after, I think I just love the chess match leading up to it even more. Just you know thinking about where should I be, what's going on, what are these deer doing, what's the intel tell me, and you get to do that times you know times I don't know how many different guys you're you're taking hunting. I mean times ten, fifteen, twenty, whatever it is. I mean that's is am I right? Is that just a, a blast for you? No. No, I mean you're spot on. I mean that, absolutely. That that's the fun part for me, especially you know, you know as I, as I've evolved um, and starting to get my kids into hunting and stuff, and you know, and doing this outfit thing, um, and even with whitetail properties, you know, setting up farms and 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 helping landowners and so forth, um, I get more more enjoyment out of the process of planting the food plots and you know digging the water holes and setting up the cameras and and manipulating a big mature deer to do what you want it to do in the daylight you know for me that's the ultimate you know and it, it doesn't even have to be me that, that shoots a deer you know i just i just know that you know if, if some if i had some influence on it you know if i helped the person do it or like if it's on one of our farms and you know and i i planted a food plot that the deer got shot in or or i did uh, you know a hinge cut that made the deer change their travel patterns and so forth and you know and a guy shoots a deer that you know I get just as much reward out of it, you know, as they do when they, when they shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. But so how have things been going so far? Have you, have you already had hunters in camp yet or is that yet to happen? We, uh, what we did here in Ohio, Ohio comes in the last Saturday in September. We had, uh, we just do a small four man camp. Uh, and we had, uh, we were pretty successful. We were two for four and we had one, one deer get shot in the shoulder. Um, so, we, you know, realistically we should have been 75 percent with the four guys we had in camp yeah wow um killed two nice deer you know they weren't uh they were, both of them were four-year-olds both of them were in that 150 class they were nice deer and uh actually today is the uh the way that typically what we do is we hunt from monday to saturday because uh, it just makes sense for you know for a week we do six man six day camps here but you know last year we were looking at the calendar and the way the calendar was going to fall it just our first camp was kind of going to get robbed of some really good late October days. Um, so what we did is we moved the, we moved the camps back almost a half a week. So actually our first camp doesn't start till tomorrow morning. Oh, wow. As far, as far as our rut camps, just, just, you know, just the way the moon's going to, you know, the moon's, you know, is falling in the evenings right now. And, you know, it just got a lot of deer up on their feet and, then, you know, we got lucky with this cold front come through and, you know, temperatures dropped 30 some degrees in the last few days. So this first camp should be rocking and rolling and big deer up on their feet and they're checking. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say so. That's, that's what I've been looking forward to as well up here in Michigan. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your elaborate a little bit on what you said there about the moon? Why do you think that the moon is lined up pretty good for us in these coming days? Yeah, especially especially in the evenings. I mean, granted, you know, you know, with the cooler temperatures, you know, in the morning, some deer are going to be up on our feet. But um, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they pay attention to that moon. And, you know, and it's getting pretty popular now. With you know, with different TV shows and 
social media and stuff, just pounding away at the moon. And what I would try to explain to guys, like, you know, if you're out in, out in the evening and you're mowing your yard or you're out doing chores or whatever in the evening, and you look up and you see the moon is setting, is on her way down, right? You know, as the sun sets and you look up and you see the moon, you know, it's waxing, it's, you know, it's coming to full. And you can see that moon, it's, it's, on, it's, it's falling when deer typically are feeding in the evenings. It's, it's a pretty good time to be out in, in you know, it, it's just when the moon's overhead and you can see it in the evening, when, you know, when that sun goes down, you, you should be in a tree stand. Yep. Yep. Especially right now, you know, we've, uh, you know, when you, when you get a cold front, like we've had, like I said, the other day it was 79 degrees and today it's 49 degrees. And you got, you know, that and it coincides with a, a falling moon. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Late October, October 25th, October 26th, you better be in a tree stand. Yeah. So what kind of setups are you going to have your hunters on with these conditions? Are you are you already putting them in kind of your typical rut sets, or are you still hunting, you know, more of those patterns that maybe are still, that these bucks are still holding on to a little bit pre-rut? Yeah, yeah. basically what, what I'll start doing, you know, because I'll have uh, – you know, I think we've got five guys going out in the morning. And what we'll do probably in the morning is, I mean, we're not just going to smash in there you know, deep in the timber. We're just going to kind of sit back and just kind of take the temperature and, and see, see how many bucks are on their feet in the morning and, go, you know, and, and see what happens. Maybe get some on some scrape lines or, you know, in between some food plots. You know, because these bucks, this is the time of year they're going to start checking for that first doe to pop. Um, but, you know, I really like the evenings uh, the last few days of October. Um, they've just been, you know, you know, periodically they've just been better for us, you know, throughout the years, the last, in the evenings in October. Um, and, and to, it's just a testament to the food plots. Um, you know, we just congregate them does in these little kill plots. And a lot of guys are, you know, they, they're planting these kill plots all over the country now. You know, just little half and three quarter acre plots that just congregate the does before they end up out to big destination fields. And, and that's, you know, we've gotten really good at, you know, put parking these plots in the right spot where just kind of feeding these does forward. And these bucks know that, you know, these does are going to be feeding in these little green plots before they head out into the grain field. So, and that's, that's typically what, what we'll do this time of year, late, you know, late October, first part of November is we'll, you know, hunt these does. Um, not so much hunting the bucks on their late summer patterns, you know, kind of early fall patterns. Um, and we're, we're going to start keying in on some does and some doe bedding areas. And, uh, being in the food plots that the does like to be in because these bucks are going to start checking them pretty hard now. Do you, do you have, speaking of the food plots, I know a lot of guys, um, this year, at least from what I've heard and seen a little bit myself, there's been a tremendous mast crop across a lot of the country, especially with white oaks. Um, and people Mm -hmm. have been seeing the deer hitting those so hard that they're not getting the usual activity they might on their food plots. Is that something you've seen at all or, or anticipate it all happening? Sure. And, uh, you know, some farms that, you know, that we do have, uh, you know, heavy acorn crop on, um, deer, you know, they obviously are not getting to the green plots or the destination plots till after dark. You know, they're just staged up in there on them nuts and, you know, they just, you know, they walk 10 feet and they got a full belly. They got to lay down and chew their cut. I mean, they're, you know, sometimes you get a wood that's just that full, it's like walking on marbles, but, uh, and you gotta, you know, you take that into account too. I mean, if you're going into a wood that uh, the deer aren't going to get to you and get to you in time, then you might have to press in just a little bit further and and try and get in the, in in there where you need to be. But 
Yeah, I know. I hate heavy, heavy acorn years because it just spreads the deer out so far, and, and they're all over the place. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's just it's something that you know every every couple of years you get it, you got to deal with it. Yeah. Um, but you know, luckily we've got a few farms that don't have an acorn tree on them. You know, so that that helps. Yeah. Speaking of um, having to get in there a little ways or getting people in and off of these food plots and stuff, you mentioned that usually you're you're taking in your hunters. Um, mm-hmm. And this is one of the things I'm always curious about because I've started um, getting a pickup. Sometimes when I'm hunting on Absolutely. an edge of the field, I've, I've convinced my wife somehow to come out and drive out and pick me up in an ATV. Or I've yep. kind of convinced myself that when I check my trail cameras in the middle of the day, it's safer to do with my ATV than just walking in there. Have you found the same kind of thing? Do you feel like we're not making as big of an impact when you're using a vehicle? And, and how much can you get away with when you're doing that? Absolutely. I will not. I will not check a camera or set a camera unless I can drive to it on a four wheeler or a, you know, or, or a side by side. Um, you know, I'm just a, a freak about putting my feet on deer dirt. Um, and it's just something, I don't know if it's cause I grew up hunting, you know, hunting some high pressure deer and I uh, wasn't able to get away with anything hunting those deer. So now I've just kind of, you know, it's just kind of stuck with me as I've, you know, grown up and matured and, you know, chasing big mature deer. Um, and I, th- I think you can get away with a lot, especially, you know, uh, as long as they can hear the truck coming, as lo- you know, they just think it's a piece of farm equipment. You know, they've been around it their whole life. And same with a four-wheeler or a tractor or whatever. Um, you know, they'll let you drive right by. But if you stop, you know, if you see a deer and you stop in that vehicle or the four-wheeler or whatever, then they'll get up and leave. But as long as you keep the wheels moving, uh, you're not going to bother them one bit. And and, and and that's what we do with outfitting. Um, if got like I said, in the evenings, if guys are on field edges, I literally drive them right to the tree. I mean, I'll take the four-wheeler and I'll drive them right to the base of the tree. They step off the four-wheeler and they put their foot on the step and they climb up in the stand. So they're not walking around and, you know, disturbing any of the deer dirt. I don't have to worry about a, a big mature doe that, you know, tracks my hunter to the tree and now his hunt's ruined because that big slick had gone picked him out. Mm-hmm. So, Do you, How many you times, know. this is something like I'm always internally deb- debating with myself, so, so like I tell myself that yes, getting picked up from the tree after an evening hunt is going to have a lower impact on these deer, but is it no impact or, you know, after three or four times of that happening, do they start feeling negative in, in some way, changing their behavior? Do you think there's any kind of risk with them changing their behavior when you're doing that pickup or could you, could I keep on hunting and get picked up, you know? three, four, five, six, seven times and, and not see these deer change their patterns, Other, assuming everything else is right, assuming I'm not, you know, having these deer wind me, assuming I'm not doing crazy stuff. Sure. And I, I typically, um, I'm, a, I'm a two or three set guy. I mean, even, you know, even though we're outfitting, you know, I've got 300-some sets. I, you know, I, I typically don't sit a set more than two or three times, you know, even throughout the whole year. Um, you know, so I, you know, I'm going to, I might bump the deer one time and I'm definitely not going to bump them again the next night. Um, you know, I just, I just think that bumping them too many times, especially if you're going to do it back to back on consecutive evenings, that you, that you really, you know, your, your chances of getting that big deer out there in the daylight are slim to none. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unless he's with a hot doe or something that, you know, he's going to go wherever she goes. But, uh, I, th- I think the later in the year you get, obviously, um, the, the more you're going to bump them, the less you're going to be able to get away with, um, especially late season. If you, you know, if they, 
say if you got two or three acres of standing corn or beans or something that you left and you have somebody come in there with a you know with a piece of equipment or an ATV or four wheel or whatever and bump the deer off it um, I think you know you're probably going to be able to do that maybe two or three times throughout the the late season um, so I think the bet your best bet is to try and try and get to a spot um, where the deer are kind of feeding feeding past you and you know I've, I don't like you know, personally, I don't like sitting on the final destination feed field where the deer are going to be parked there for the night and they're going to go lay over in the fence row and they're going to chew their cud and they're going to get up and feed some more. Um, I, I, don't, I don't like parking my guys in those spots if I'm going to be going in and out of those fields a lot. So, yeah. um, I guess, you know, I guess every farm's different, you know, and how it's laid out. You know, some people are, well, that's the only way I can go into the property is, is to go through this field to get to where I got to hunt them. And, uh, you know, some people that, you know, that's just what you got to do. Um, but I would, I would say with those guys that are there, maybe not sit till complete where it's completely dark in the evening. And then when you get out, you got all those deer between you and your vehicle. Maybe if nothing's coming or, you know, you know, you know, I've got like five minutes left and I haven't seen anything, Well, take advantage of that five minutes and slip out as quiet as you can with no headlight and just book it to the truck mm-hmm. and uh, live the fight another day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What about, uh, I don't know, anything, any other tricks you have for getting good entry or exit? Because I think that yeah, I'm sure this is something that's important to you, given what we've been talking about already. Absolutely. Yeah, anything absolutely. else that you're thinking I'm about big, or doing on that front? I'm big. I'm big on ditches. I love ditches, you know, because all the ditches typically are, are going to come out to a road somewhere. Um, and a lot of my guys that are hunting with me, you know, they know they're going to wear rubber boots because I'm going to have them walking in water, you know, and it, the stand only might, it might only be, you know, and the lazy way to get to the stand is only 75 yards, but my guys might have to walk 200 yards to get to the tree stand because they're walking, they're walking down the ditch, you know, and typically unless the deer's drinking out of the ditch, they're not going to spend a whole lot of time in it as far as, you know, looking for the scent, you know, smelling the scent and stuff. You know, that's why I'm, I'm big on not walking on deer dirt. So, like in the mornings, you know, a lot of my stuff, our access and stuff, guys are walking in the ditches. I'm not walking on uh, what I call deer dirt. You know, I'm not walking on the leaves. I'm not disturbing the ground. Um, we're not rubbing up against anything that a deer might smell. Um, we're walking in the ditches. And a lot of my stands are in spots that, uh, you know, that are relatively close to ditches, whether it be a ditch funnel or just up up the bank off a ditch, you know, and, and just – just areas where deer might not get behind us and a deer is not going to cut our track. Yeah. So like I said, I'm, I'm big, I'm big on ditches as far as getting in and out of farms. And a lot of people are, you know, it's, it's just common sense, you know, to me, you know, it's just, it's just something that you should do. If, if you rise the ditch to get in and out of your properties, you need to do it. Yeah. Do you, do you ever have to go in there and like clear them out with a chainsaw or something or are these things oh, yeah. pretty open? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, a once a year process where, you know, once you, once you get the initial ditch open and clear, you know, and you get the falling down trees and the log jams and stuff. Once you get all those initially open, then the next year it's just a breeze. You know, you just walk through it and you get you know the little things are in the way and you make sure you can still see your taxes. That way you can get in and out of there and you know just like I said the. You know, the first year it's gonna it's gonna be a pain in the butt. You know, you're gonna probably have to have a chainsaw to cut some some root balls up, or you know, or just washouts and you know, big log jams. Um, 
but what you know it's going to be worth it you know in the long run to to go through it and do that work mm-hmm, for sure so speaking of things yep. like ditches um terrain features are, are you using any features you know any type of terrain or t- topography feature to actually help you get these guys on deer, you know, choosing stand locations. It sounds like you're using it to get in and out of hunts, but are you also finding ways that these things funnel deer movement at all? Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, here where we're at here in Logan County, uh, where the majority of our properties are, um, we've got, we've got a little bit of terrain feature here. You know, we look a lot like Southern Iowa really. Um, and you know, and, and I use, you know, if I get in a timber, um, I use, you know, just narrow, narrow points on ridges um i'm not so much hunting the you know the wide open flat i'm going to hunt the narrowest part of that you know that ridge so you know that way if you know the ridge uh, itself is kind of funneling the deer down to a you know kind of an hourglass shape um and ditch funnels you know for you know I mean, you know what i'm talking about when i say ditch funnel right i think i mean i've heard of a couple different things but i've, I've heard some yeah, people I mean, say, like the yeah, head of a you, ditch say, you know yeah, at the head of a ditch. Yeah, because it's kind of going uphill, and it's basically just a deep washout, and yep. you know, in the in the side of the woods, and it goes up, and it, it, once it gets to the top of the hill, it stops, and it's just flat right there. And I utilize those a lot. I mean, I'm like I said, back to walking the ditch all the way up in there with the wind in your face, and you just pop up, and as soon as you get to the flat spot, you hope there's a really good tree there because it's a, you know, because that's that's what I call a ditch funnel. Cause it just makes a narrow point in the terrain where the, you know, where the deer are going to come around that and they just, you know, naturally come around that flat spot on the hill. Yeah. So, and, and in the evenings, you know, I've noticed too, on some of our, some of our farms where, um, we might have a 60, 70 acre field and you're like, man, these deer can pop out anywhere. It seems like a lot of our bigger deer like to pop out on the highest spot in that field. So they can, they can see the whole field as soon as they step out into it. <laughs> You know, they're not going to pop out, you know, even, you know, and I've, seen, I've sat back in glass and I'm like, right, the wind is not in this deer's favor for him to pop out right in the middle of this field, and but they do it anyway. I don't know if they just let their guard down a little bit because they want to be able to visually see the whole field when they step out into it so they know which way to go or, you know, if they want to see, if they're just looking for does or what. But I know a few of our farms where, you know, it's just, just stick a fork in them. They're going to step out in that high spot every single year. Interesting. Speaking of that kind yep. of question, I, you know, I find myself in a similar situation sometimes where you're trying to anticipate, you know, I think a buck's going to come out in this general region, but then you start wondering, okay, how do you find the spot within the spot? Um, sure. What about how a deer may or may not use wind to choose where it's headed or where it beds? Is that something you pay attention to and have kind of kind of come to some conclusions? Sure, absolutely. I mean, especially what you know when I, you know hunting for myself. If I'm hunting, trying to hunt a particular deer, um, there, uh, you know, I try to put myself. Okay, if I'm a deer and you know I know I'm being hunted, how am I gonna how am I gonna go about my day when my nose is my number one sense? So how am I you know? And I'm not just gonna barge right into my bedroom with the wind at my back. I'm gonna you know, I'm going to circle my bedroom. I'm going to kind of J-hook my bedroom, get downwind of it. I'm going to scent check it, and then I'll come in there and I'll bed down. Uh, same thing with, you know, as far as, you know, going to a food source. Um, I'm going to come out on the upwind side of that, you know, the downwind side of that food source um, to the best of my ability, um, whether, you know, terrain-wise or whatever. 
And, you know, I'm not going to pop out. You know, I'm going to pop out where that wind's in my face. I can scent check which way I'm walking, you know, as far as to get to that food. And, uh, you know, I'm going to smell anything, any kind of danger or anything that's in that, you know, before I get to that food source so I don't get shot. You know, th- to me, that, that's what I'm thinking when I'm a big deer. And, you know, and I think that helps me, um, you know, as far as trying to figure out how a big deer is going, you know, going to work a food source, how he's going to smell, you know, he's going to scent check some does and never even have to step out into food source. Um, so, you know, sometimes a lot of the, a lot of my are really good scents are maybe 40, 50 yards, just, just in the timber, um, where the deer's got, he's, he's scent checking this, you know, a, a cornfield or a bean field or a food plot. And he never even really has to step out in it because he, he, you know, he's just scent checking it and he's just moving along to the next one. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of luck, uh, you know, shooting some big deer, you know, just off of food sources that way with some of my clients. Mm-hmm. That's always the tough thing, though, I feel like, is you're setting up when you know the deer is trying to move through there using the wind to his advantage, so somehow you need to mm-hmm. be able to get there but maintain some ability to be just outside of his advantage, right? It's like cutting that corner. Yeah, that, that seems to be the trick. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's the hard part. It's finding, you know, getting your wind to blow in a spot where it's not, uh, not educating any deer and it, it's good for him. And it's good for you. That's, uh, that's, that's what, you know, that think that separates the men from the boys when it comes to killing big deer, mm-hmm. being able to, being able to find that right tree, you know, the killing tree. Yeah. How much do you worry about scent control? Do you, are you, uh, are you one of the scent control, you know, uh, are you religious about scent control or are you religious about just always playing the wind and you, you don't worry about the other stuff as much or both? Uh, I'm both. I'm uh, I'm a both on that. Um, I'm I'm a scent freak. Uh, honestly, I'll be honest with you, Mark. I have not taken what I call a stinky shower in probably ten years. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I have so used no the, old spice, uh, huh? No negative on the old spice. <laughs> I have used uh, I have used the 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 scent away soap for the last ten years, uh, three hundred sixty five days a year. That's amazing. Uh, my wife's even on board. Yeah, we. Uh, all our, even my daily, daily clothes, uh, even the kids, I mean, we just wash it all together. We just, we're, we're using the, the free and clear laundry detergent. There's no ties or, you know, none of the, none of the stinky stuff goes on. None of our clothes, none of our towels. Um, it just, just kind of just what we've done for the last 10 years, probably. Um, and I say 10 years, it may, may be longer now. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a scent freak and, you know, I do, I, I do anything, uh, you know, with all the technology and stuff with all the, the ozone machines and the, the scent crusher. And, uh, you know, I, if, if, if you have the, the financial means to use that stuff and to, and to buy that stuff, you know, I would, I've got a scent crusher bag. Um, anytime I go to the woods with my wife and my kids or myself, you know, I, I scent crush all my stuff for, for 30 minutes before I go. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a freak about it and I will not, you know, even, even when it comes to checking cameras, um, I'm, uh, you know, I check the wind before I go check a camera. If the wind's not good, then I just don't check that camera. Even on the, the 10,000 acres that we have, you know, I've, you know, I've got some cameras that I haven't been able to check for a while now because the wind's not right. So I'm not going to go, uh, I'm just, a just a scent freak about everything when it comes to the wind. Cause that's how these deer, uh, they survive. That's the number one sense is the wind. And, 
if you uh, if you tip them off or give them a reason to smell any more than they have to, you're in trouble. All right, well, good stuff here from Tim so far, but let's take a moment here to hear from our partners at Whitetail Properties, and then we'll get right back to this conversation with Tim Woods. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Billy O'Connor, a land specialist out of Kansas. And Billy is going to be telling us about what to consider when buying a property with a friend. Um, you know, buying a property with a friend is a great idea. You know, it helps you uh, get more land for less. And it also helps with the cost and investment of time that you kind of need for improvements. Plus, it's just fun to kind of share in the experience of owning land with someone who is passionate about the outdoors as you are. But um, you do need to think through kind of the, the, the process a little bit to make sure that you kind of cover all scenarios kind of going down the road. Um, when buying with a friend, you first want to talk through ideally what each partner wants out of the experience. You know, is this for an investment? Is it to raise mature whitetail by letting them get to a certain age class? Is it a place you want to bring friends and family to hunt as well? Assuming you both want to manage for deer, usually friends have the same goal and approach to management, but often one person will want to hunt. Uh, other things such as quail and small game, and the other partner may not necessarily want to do that. So you kind of want to talk all that through. Um, if you are an out-of-state buyer, you do need to keep in mind that the state of Kansas, you're allowed one landowner tag per 80 acres. So if you both want landowner tags, you need to make sure the property is 160 acres or more. I'd suggest you buy the property under an LLC. Um, that way, everything can kind of be explained in the bylaws in the event that something does come up down the road where you guys do need to split it or sell it, you know, things such as a divorce or someone has more kids than they anticipated and, uh, or a death in the family and someone needs to sell, um, those type of things. You can kind of go over and get that out of the way from the get-go. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Billy currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash O'Connor. That's O-C-O-N-N-O-R. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I think, uh, I do, I do many of the same things you're mentioning there. Um, so what about this situation? This is one of those scenarios I'm always, I always struggle with. And I just had it last night, actually. Um, you go in, you get set up, things are looking great. You get towards the end of the evening, let's say though, and your wind shifts in some way, or it swirls in a bit and you realize, Oh crap. Now, not everything is ruined, but now I do know that this section that I'd really wish my wind wasn't going to be blown into, it's now blown in there. Do you say, well, it is what it is, hopefully something will come out from the other two-thirds, or do you bail immediately, regardless of the fact that it's the last hour or whatever? Me me personally, um, I would bail. Um, that, I mean, that's, that's just how I am. But, you know, I can look at it as a, as a, as a guy that, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I work six days a week. You know, my only time I get to hunt is on Sunday. If that was my only time that I got to hunt, I would stay. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and just hope for the best. But me personally, um, you know, granted, I've been blessed that, you know, I don't have to punch a time clock. Um, you know, I can, you know, if, if I have a good evening and I don't have hunters in camp, I can go hunt. Um, but me personally, I, I would bail. I would, you know, and I actually did I had a guy come in early. Um, he come in a day early because he's got to leave a day early. And he was sitting last night. And when I took him in there, the wind was west-southwest. And it was predicted for the hour by hour, it was going to go west-southwest, and it was going to go to west. And about the last 45 minutes, he texted me. He said, Tim, it's going, it's like dead south. These does, does busting me. And I texted him back. I said, is anything in the field? He said, no. I said, get down and walk to the walk to where I dropped you off. 
granted I didn't want the foot traffic, but he was 45 minutes away. And I didn't want to take the chance in that next 45 minutes of our wind blowing right down through the middle of this where all these deer were going to be popping out. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a give and take. I just told him, I said, just get down and walk 50 yards off the edge of the field because the whole edge of this field is just loaded with scrapes. I said, walk 50 yards off the edge of the timber and walk to where I dropped you off. Um, you know, and, and, and he did, you know, he, and he's like, he's like, that was a good move yeah. you because know, the wind was just wrong. And there's no sense, you know, like I said, for me personally, I, I just cannot sit in a tree stand with the wind being wrong. It just, just, it just, just like, it's like kissing your sister. You know what I mean? It's just not right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Speaking of, uh, of your, of your client in that example, you know, he, he, he heard what you had to say or the text and he had it right out. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of different hunters come in through the years. Is there anything you've found that separates the people that end up filling a tag versus those that don't? Um, I don't know. Do you see any consistencies? And I, I don't realize this is, this is unique because I'm asking specifically. No, about... I, I, I do. I, I do. And it, it's the guy that, uh, that rolls into camp and, and wants to have a good time. And he, he doesn't care where you put him. If I told the guy, hey, I'm going to take you over here to Walmart and I'm going to put you in a telephone pole in a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> and and if, he, if he would be okay with that, those are the guys that kill. Honest and fact, Mark. I mean, Interesting. The guys that come in here and they, you know, oh, man, I got to kill and this and that. Those are the ones that have a terrible week. Huh. It's the guys that come in here and have a great attitude about it. They're here. You know, they've, they've, they've paid for their hunt. You know, they're just, they're just happy to be here. They don't have to be at work. They're not, you know, they're not at the office or whatever it is that they do on a daily basis. They're just here to have a good time for six days. And those are the guys that typically kill a good deer. So do you think that's just because that attitude then translates into the field in some way? So the guy that's happy to be there is optimistic and, and is paying attention the whole time he's out there in the woods because he's just excited about it. And then that just results in him being a li- little bit more ready for the opportunity versus maybe the guy who's stressing out too much and he gets negative and then he's out in the tree and he's convinced himself, oh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, that and, you know, and, and the guys that are just happy to be here, you can put them in a tree anywhere and they will sit daylight to dark. Hmm. The guys that have to kill, they'll, they'll text you every half hour, every 45 minutes. What's everybody seeing? What are the deer doing? <laughs> are they moving? Do you think I should sit here? What time do you think should I move? What's for lunch? Should I come <laughs> in? What's your thoughts? Those, you know, those are the texts that I get throughout the day, you know, communicate with my hunters. And the guys that you don't hear from, you know, I'll check in with some guys that I haven't heard from in a while. You know, it's been a few hours. Just make sure everything's good, you know, and I'll text them. Have you seen anything? Nope, haven't seen nothing. You good? Yep, I'm good. See you at dark. Those are the guys that kill, you know. But the guy, you know, like I said, the guy that, you know, what did you see? Oh, I had a, you know, I, the bucks are chasing all over the place. I haven't, you know, I haven't had a shot opportunity. Why won't they stop and give me a shot? I don't understand. You know, those are the guys that don't kill. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So what? You know, I, and like I said, they just they just won't. You know, you just got to trust trust the outfitter. You know, and you're paying them for you know for them to do a job. And you know, if they tell you you need to sit in that stand, sit in that stand. Yeah, let them do the job, right? 
Yep, let them do their job. Don't don't guide the guys. Yeah. So let's flip that question then to the other side. So you, I know you know you hang out with guys like Ben Rising and a lot of other people, Joel Snow, I think, a lot of other folks that are very successful, mature buck hunters, just doing it themselves. What do you see as the consistent factors that link those types of people, the very best DIY hunters that you know? They live in the areas where there are big deer. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They live in the areas, you know, because they're, you know, they're not everywhere. But, and, you know, and that's, you know, I, I moved here um, from Northeast Ohio. I was born and raised in a little town called West Farmington. And, uh, you know, it, growing up, we had some good deer. And then it just becomes so populated and everybody and their brother hunted, which was good for the sport. But our age structure, you know, went to put and our deer numbers were, you know, they were gone um, because there were just too many of us out there. You know, we were just, you know, harvesting too many deer. So I ended up moving down here and, uh, you know, and everything that I learned from up there, I brought it down here and, you know, I, I started killing 170s, you know, where up home you're killing a 125 or a 130, you know, that's a good deer. But, you know, like I said, then I moved down here to where there actually are big deer. And I started killing big deer. Yeah. But, but you know, even so if you don't, if you don't have it, you can't kill it. Very true. Which, which is the, the root of all my problems here in Michigan, I think. <laughs> um, but, uh, I'll sell you a farm down here. You're hey, not that far away. Don't tempt me because I'm constantly <laughs> thinking about it. I'm constantly thinking about it. Um, but even where you're at, or even where Ben's at, there's guys that aren't killing 170-inch bucks. They're going out there every year, and they shoot a 110-inch buck if they're lucky. You know, there's, there's some people that just aren't able to, to close the deal on these big, mature bucks, even if they are out there. What sure. what makes you or Ben different? We, we pay, pay attention to, to the details. Um, and, you know, don't skip Don't skip any detail, you know, cross, cross your T's and dot your I's. Um, and when you do get a chance at a big deer, you, you got to capitalize on it because you might not get another one for the rest of the year. Um, I, you know, as far as what makes us different, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I put my pants on the same way everybody else does. You know, I, I you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I haven't been in the woods enough with somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, to, you know, for, I guess for them to say, you know, oh, well, why, you know, I would never think to do that and so forth. Um, I don't know, you know, what sets us apart. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really think I'm any different than anybody else. I just, you know, live in an area where there are big deer and Ben lives in an area where there's big deer. Um, he's got access to some good ground as do I, um, you know, and it's, you know, I, I really don't think I'm any different than anybody else. Um, I did, maybe we just work a little bit harder than, than, than the average guy. Yeah. And I think there's something to what you said there about that attention to detail. That's always one of those yeah. things with, with everybody I talk to, every one of these people we have on the podcast that's, that's very successful. That's definitely a common trait. It's not, sure. not cutting corners, paying attention to every little thing. Um, that's, that is a core kind of core consistent principle to, to almost every successful deer hunter I've talked to. So it's yeah. always interesting. Yeah, you got yeah, you got you got to pay attention to the details. You can't be lazy. Um, you know, you get out of it what you put into it. You know, and if you want to, if you want to halfway do something, you're gonna get halfway results. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about something that um, 
every deer hunter right now is thinking about, which is the rut, which is not going to, you know, we're knocking on the door of the rut right now. Um, it's coming for a lot of us. I think, you know, if, if, if you read a magazine these days, or if you listen to a podcast, or if you watch TV shows, you have been just hammered over the head with the basics of how to hunt the rut, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. most deer hunters know pinch points, funnels, um, you know, be where the does are. Sure. Is there anything above and beyond that, though, that you think leads to hunt success during the rut? Or is there anything that you have your clients do or put your clients in anything in some unique fashion during the rut that, that helps you guys be successful? Um, I think for us is <clears throat> just paying attention to the deer, um, you know, and, and don't try not to overthink it too much. You know I mean? You can, you know, you can have the best situation and the best scenario and, 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 and somehow just screw it up. I mean, like with us, you know, we just, you know, we, we scout a lot from the roads. We do, we do a lot of glassing, um, run a lot of cameras and just pay attention to pay attention to the deer. Um, you know, and put the pieces of the puzzle together. Okay, you got a picture of this deer here. Um, is he bedding here or is he, you know, in between, you know, what's he doing? Um, don't just say, oh, I got a picture of this deer in the food plot. I need to sit this food plot. You know, well, the picture, you might have got a nighttime picture. He's obviously on his feet somewhere. Um, and, and with the rut coming, the deer can be on their feet in the daylight now. Um, you know, this is, this is the time of year that, that everybody's saving their vacation for, you know, the next, you know, from now till, you know, thanksgiving a lot of guys are going to be in the woods um just pay attention to the deer um if you're not seeing seeing what you want to see you know maybe you're you're obviously not where you need to be um and every farm's different um you know and that's the the unique thing about you know land and farms and stuff that you know they're all a little bit different they all got their little quirks about them that, that make them good or make them bad um i guess you know, nothing really, you know, we just don't, don't overthink it too much and uh, play the wind. Number one thing, let the wind dictate where you're going to be. Uh, Cause it's, you know, if, if you try and split the hairs with the wind on, you know, on these deer, you're going to lose 99% of the time. Um, and, that, and that's with us. We don't, we know we try not to overthink it too much and uh, just play the wind. What, what could you, um, could you maybe elaborate for us a bit? Um, on what kinds of spots you specifically are having people hunt this time of year. So I know that wind's going to dictate how you would pick a certain place. Sure. Um, but could you maybe lay right out now, in detail, um, maybe a, an example sure. of a spot? Uh, like right now I'm going to try and be, uh, between bed and, or feed and bed. Like if I'm going in the morning, uh, I'm going to try and have an access to where I'm not walking through or I'm not entering where I want to hunt where by going through a destination feed field. Cause I don't want to domino the deer back. I don't want to shove the deer back to where I want to try and catch them in between bed to feed. Make sense. Yeah. Or, or feed to bed. So I'm going to try and have kind of a side door entrance or a back door entrance where I can slip somebody in and, and be between where the deer are feeding and where they want to go to bed, you know, whether it be on a, you know, on an Oak plat or an Oak Ridge or a funnel or, you know, a ditch funnel where I'm, you know, I'm catching the deer naturally traveling back, traveling back to bed in the mornings. Um, and then, and this time, this time of year, like the next, for the next, about the next week in the evenings, um, if I don't, you know, if I don't have guys that are willing to sit all day, um, 
I'll typically move them to uh, to a funnel or somewhere close to uh, a food plot or you know or uh, you know or an oak flat or something in the evenings, catching the deer before they head out into the big fields and you know and kind of get scattered. You know, once a deer gets once a big deer gets out in a big field and it starts running does around, it's really tough to you know to get it to get a deer locked in. Um, you know, we will utilize decoys too. Um, you know, this time of year that. You know, they're just walking around. Um, so, you know, calling calling at a deer, you know, it's fun to do, um, especially to see them, you know, react to it and, uh, you know, come in posturing at a decoy and you can stick one inside. And when it comes to a decoy, it's pretty fun to do. <laughs> yeah. What's your typical decoy setup look like? Uh, for us, like, you know, it'd be, uh, it's it's kind of backed off of an area, you know, because where we're at here, a lot of our farms, we have high deer numbers. We have lots of does, and does hate decoys. Um, so typically, you know, a, a typical decoy set for us, um, you know, if you, you can imagine, say you got a you know perfectly square food plot, and it's an eight-acre food plot, and a lot of the deer like to come out in this, you know, say the southwest corner of the food plot. They all, lots of deer come out right there. Well, I'm not going to set up right there with the decoy right on top of the does. I'm going to set up on the far northeast corner of that food plot, you know, with a, you know, with a west wind or a southwest wind or a south wind. That way, when the does come out, they can see that decoy from a little ways away, and they'll tolerate it over there. And uh, you know, and then then if a buck comes out where the does come out, and he sees the decoy, and you give him a grunt, grunt a couple times or a snort weed and so forth, and he can't take it anymore, he's going to march across that field to you. Um, that, I guess that would be a, a typical, uh, a decoy set for us, which, you know, is kind of off of the deer movement, so to speak, and the deer sign. Um, it's just not, you know, really, it's not smashed in on, uh, the typical inside corner, you know, that where a lot of deer would pile out. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna move in there on that inside corner and put the decoy 20 yards away. That way, as soon as these does pop out, they're freaking out and they're blowing and stomping all over the place. I'm going to give them a little bit of room to feed. Yep, that makes sense. Now, do you yeah. do you usually like using a buck decoy or a doe decoy, or what situation would you use either or? Um, this time of year, I would just use uh, use a buck decoy. Um, you know, because they're you know even on on a lot of the cameras and stuff that I'm checking. You know, I've had a lot of cameras on scrapes, and if you get multiple bucks in these pictures, they're all postured up at each other, so they're uh, they're getting to the point where they're not uh, they're not liking each other like they did a couple weeks ago. Um, so I've, you know, I'm, I like using a buck decoy. I've had a lot more success over a buck decoy. Um, one, and I guess once you get later in the year, uh, you could, you know, you could do the doe decoy as well with the buck decoy. Um, and then even, you know, even later into November, you know, you can just, use, you know, just use a doe by itself. Um, but I, I haven't, you know, personally, as far as guiding, uh, I've never had much luck with just a doe decoy. You know, I know a lot of guys that have killed some deer over just a doe decoy, but um, you know, my hunter, my guys have a lot more fun and we've had a lot more success with just the buck decoy. Yep. I feel like I've seen or heard the same <clears throat> thing too. Um, now here's something that just popped into my mind. That's totally kind of a, a 180 from the rut, but you, you mentioned your scrapes on your, or sorry, your trail cameras on your scrapes and what you're seeing there. Mm-hmm. It got me thinking you must check so many trail cameras over 10,000 acres. I cannot imagine how many cameras you run, um, how much you see. 
So I got two questions for you. Number one, I'd like to understand, um, you know, how you're using these cameras. You know, if it's, is it just to get an inventory or is it actually helping you hunt in some way? I'd love to understand that. Uh, I guess answer, answer me that, and then I'll, I'll throw my part two at you. I guess. Yeah, you know, this time of year, um, <clears throat> we've got a got a lot of crops coming off. Corn's starting to come off, and and typically a lot, you know, once our corn comes off, we recruit a lot of deer. And recruit a lot of older deer, you know, a lot of the bigger deer. For some reason, our big deer just love being out in that corn by themselves in the summertime. And once their home gets taken away, they come they come back to us. Um, and it's typically the same bucks on the same farms year after year. Um, you know, we can, you know, we have history with these deer. And you know, and I I put these I put cameras on the scrapes, um, and that way I know they're back home. Um, and it lets me know, uh, you know, are they, you know, on the, on this food plot, are they come to this food plot in the evenings? Um, and then I can, you know, I, and then I can go, okay, now, uh, he, you know, just from what I know in the past, the deer's probably bedded here. He's coming to the food plot, you know, this direction. And then I can kind of key in on that particular deer with my guys, uh, you know, and try to pull the rug out from underneath them that way. But as far as far as numbers of cameras, uh, I couldn't even tell you how many cameras I have. Um, I know I checked probably twenty five today. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and and that's just you know pulling into a farm, and I'd say I've got three cameras on this farm. Um, you know, and I got the wind right, and I'll just take the quad and I'll just buzz around. And I'll check, you know, swap the cards out in these cameras. I'll come back to the truck, pop them in the laptop, and you know, and click through them and see if I you know see if I can get any. Uh, you know, most recent information of what's happening on that farm, you know, now that I got some guys rolling in the camp. Mm-hmm. So, so then that kind of ties in nicely to my, what my next question was, which is given how many cameras you're looking through and like the, just the, the vast amount of data that you're looking through every year, year after year after year, have you learned anything like like big trends that you've seen because you've looked at so many pictures? I mean, have you found any any like big picture patterns like yes like I, i've seen every year that x happens or this factor always gets the buck on their feet all right is there anything you've you've identified by way of looking through all these pictures over the years and, and maybe even you know talking to hunters about their experiences year after year after year have you gotten any big picture learnings in that in some kind of fashion like that um i guess it's something that we've all known is that it's all about the weather, those temperatures, um, you know, I mean, you can, you know, like, like we've had, you know, it was, it was almost in the eighties for a few days, a few days ago. And the cameras were a little slow. Um, you know, when I clicked through those dates, um, things were slow, just deer just weren't moving. And then, you know, you get a 20 degree temperature drop and it's like a light switch went off. You're like, well, where, you know, where all these deer come from? Um, and it's just, this, you know, this time of year, we want the rut to happen so bad. You know, we've been waiting on it all year long. Um, we've been checking our cameras and we're getting pictures of these big deer. We can't wait for this, for the rut to get here. And, you know, it's, it's all about the temperatures. You know, if you got it, if it's, the temperatures are warm, you know, we're still going to have a rut, but it's just going to be at night. So, you know, if you got cold temperatures, then you're going to see the activity when you're sitting in the tree stand or your ground blind or whatever. So, um, that's, that's the biggest thing that I can take away that, you know, no matter, no matter what we do, the rut is going to be pretty much the same time every year. Um, and if the temperatures are cold, we're going to see it. We're going to, you know, guys are going to get to see it. They're going to get to see the chasing. 
in the Bucks fight and stuff like that. But if it's warm, everything's going to happen at night. What do you do during the rut when you do have those warm temperatures? How do you make the best of that situation? Um, we're sitting on water holes, strategically placed water holes for guys when the temperatures are hot. Um, and uh, you just just do your best. You try you try and stay positive. Um, and you know that's one thing you can't control. You know, and that's you know, and and it doesn't matter with with anything in life, I guess. You know, control the controllable, and one thing we cannot control is the weather. Yeah, that's the truth. You know, with, and, you, know you know, when things are tough, you just you know, you know, you just say, man, it's hunting. You know, it's not life or death. It's just hunting. Could be worse. That's true. <laughs> Could be a lot worse. Yeah. So what else, when it comes to the rut, when you whether it be your guys coming into camp or, or anybody else, we've talked a little bit about the right places to be. We've talked a little bit about how to handle the conditions, talked a little about decoying. What else does someone need to be doing to have a successful hunt during the rut or should be thinking about or, or whatever? Um. Pay, pay attention to the deer. Like I said, if you're if you're not seeing what you want to see or what you think you should be seeing, um, you're doing something wrong. Um, you need to move. You need to either get a little bit more aggressive, or uh, maybe you got too aggressive. Maybe you need to back out. Uh, maybe you smashed in a little bit too far. Um, uh, pay attention to the details. Um, you know, if you're running cameras, you know this time of year you get check those cameras a lot because uh, you know you might be coming up on it, you know, the next three or four days, some of these bigger deer are going to get locked down, you know, and, and if you're hunting one of those big deer and he gets locked down and it's, you know, you could be in for a long rut. So, you know, I'd say if, you know, if I was, you know, I haven't got to hunt the rut in so long, um, but I get to hunt it vicariously through our our guys. But, uh, you know, I guess it's for me, I would just uh, pay attention to what the deer are doing. And uh, like I said, if you, if you, slip in and you hunt a morning and you're expecting to see good movement and you don't, well, I mean, you did something wrong, you know, something, something happened there, uh, or, where you didn't play your cards right, or you didn't, you weren't paying attention to what you should have been paying attention to and, and learn from it. You know, just cause you don't see nothing doesn't mean you can't learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the big lessons I learned was just like, never assume that what happened just happened by chance. Like there's always a why there's always a reason why sure. something happens. So I'm constantly trying to Absolutely. trying to force myself to ask that question and try to answer. So, so I didn't see any deer tonight. Well, why, why did that happen? Or sure. maybe I did see a mature buck crossing this little ditch over in the such and such area. Well, why did he, why did he cross there? Why was he heading that direction? I feel like if you take everything that you observe and experience in the whitetail woods and apply the question of why to it, you you by default become a better deer hunter. I think by asking and trying to answer those questions, maybe. Absolutely, yep, absolutely. No stone unturned. Mm-hmm. So you can you can never learn enough about these. You know, I get you know guys, you know friends and stuff will will text me and you know they'll they'll call me and be like, well, why did this deer do this? And I'm like, dude, as soon as you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, you, let me know as soon as you figure out why that deer would do that. You know, on this night when it's 85 degrees and he's standing in the scrape at, you know, 11 o'clock in the middle of the day and you're texting me why and sending me the picture. And I'm like, uh, I have no idea why he would be doing that. You know, you know, is, it, is there a doe popped in there or did he, did somebody bump him and he just took a walk, you know, or, is, you know, is he actually, you know, a deer that will get up and walk in the middle of the day when it's 85 degrees, 
you know, as soon as you figure out about these critters. Yeah. Yeah, they uh they are wild animals, that's for sure. They're they're always yep, gonna keep absolutely. us on our toes. So what yep, about they're just so fascinating. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh I've yet to tire of them, <laughs> that's for sure. So let's say we're hunting the rut, we've done all these things, we've kept a positive attitude, we've been hunting hard, we've been focusing on does and pinch points and et cetera, et cetera. We're paying attention and everything worked out and we got a shot. We hit a deer. Um yep. I've got, I guess, two situations I want to lay out here. Um, one would be we have a we have a deer that um, I guess. Okay, let's 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 say this: we hit a deer. Is there anything that you've learned, given how many deer trails you've been on with all the tracking you do with your bloodhounds? Is there anything you've learned from tracking with a hound that has helped you become a better blood tracker? Just you know. On without a dog, or that you could tell someone that it could help them when they're tracking without a dog. I guess that's my first question. Um, typically, if you if you make a moral hit on a deer, they're they're straight lining. Um, you know, whether it be you know, say you get a high entry hit, a high entry and no exit, um, it's going to be a little bit before you get a little bit of blood. But typically, those deer are straight lining. You know, they're they're on a mission. They're going somewhere and they're going there straight and in a hurry. Um, you know, that, that would be, you know, as far as what the dogs, a lot of times, um, you know, if, you know, if we're five drop sis in on a track and, uh, and she takes a good line and she starts going, you know, in that, in that one direction, um, she's going straight. Then, you know, I know typically, um, you know, we're locked in, you know, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. So that's, that, that'd be the biggest thing that I've taken away with the hounds. You know, a lot of times, you know, if you didn't have a hound, you'd be kind of zigzagging around trying to find blood and so forth. And, you know, a lot of times if you'll just get on that trail and you'll take that trail that that deer was on that you shot and just walk it out a little bit, you'll, you know, you know, eventually you'll probably pick up some sign, you'll pick up some blood or, a, you know, see a track where the deer was running and so forth. So these deer, when they're hit, you know, mortally hit, they're straight lining. Hmm. Interesting. So let's, I guess, uh, I guess maybe let's take a step back. Maybe I got ahead of myself there. Um, what's your basic process um, without a dog, let's just say right now, because we'll talk about dogs in a second. But for, for okay. you, pre-dog or for someone who doesn't have a dog, how would you recommend or how do you personally go through the moments after you see the arrow hit a deer Take me through the process from that moment all the way, you know, through a hypothetical track job, how you're doing it, what you're looking for, um, how long you would wait, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Um, and most hunters know, you know, as soon as they let that, you know, let that arrow go or, you know, whatever they're shooting at a deer, they know, you know, their first instinct is, oh, I smoked him or, oh man, that was a bad shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so typically that right there lets you know, do I need to give this deer some time? Or, you know, can I wait, you know, do I wait 45 minutes or an hour uh, and get down and go look? Um, and, you know, with the dogs and doing this outfit thing, um, you know, being that I'm not there with the guy, um, you know, say, say I don't have the dogs. You know, we're going to run through the scenario not having a dog. Say you shoot the deer, you feel like you made a great shot. The deer runs off. You don't hear it fall down. You didn't see it fall down. Uh, but you just heard it, you know, it's just hauling the mail. Um, I'm going to wait, you know, 
I'm gonna wait a while. I'm gonna get down. I'm gonna go inspect the arrow, um, and I'm gonna you know see what kind of blood I got. See you know see if it's um, good lung blood, arterial blood, or is it dark gritty? Is it you know dark blood? Is it you know does it have any you know gut matter on it? You know what? Where did I hit the deer? Um, and for the most part, a lot of the, you know a lot of these guys are you know they're pretty well educated anymore as far as archery hunting. Most of the guys know about where they hit the deer. Um, you know, and, and you can, that, that arrow is going to tell you a lot. And then, you know, for me, I would wait, um, you know, I'm a, I'm an eight hour guy, you know, you, you know, and, and unless you see the deer fall over, you know, you see that, you know, deer runs a hundred yards, you hear it fall over, you see it fall over, you know, then, then get down and go, you know, go get your deer by all means. But if you, you know, if you made a, you know, you, you think, you know, you're pretty sure you made a good shot, but maybe a, Maybe it's maybe maybe it got liver or maybe it didn't. Well, then at least wait eight hours before you do anything. You know, before you before you start tracking. You know, before you go in there and start. You know, even if you went fifty yards, that might be fifty yards too far, and you bump the deer and it's gone. Um, you know, you worked all year for that for that shot. You know, and then you're going to screw it up by not being patient enough. Um, so that's that's the biggest thing that I you know I've actually had to learn. You know. Is, and that's what the dogs have taught me uh, as well. It's just be be patient. Um, you know, if it's dead now, it'll be dead later. Uh, the last thing you want to do is bump the deer. And, uh, you know, once you bump the deer, your chances of finding there are that much, you know, there's, you know, they were, you know, they're, they were good before, but now they're, you know, they're really bad now because you bump the deer. He might even be off your property. He might, you know, he might run a country mile before he beds down again. You know, who knows, but, uh, I'm a, I'm an eight hour guy to be honest with you, Mark. If, if one of my guys shoots a deer in the morning, I'm not, you know, say he shoots at eight o'clock. I'm not going in there till four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, if he shoots it at night, then I'm just going to wait till the next morning. Then we'll go in there in the daylight and see what we got to work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, have you found there to be any, you mentioned one thing already, that being that lots of times a mortally hit deer is going to just beeline it somewhere. Have you mm-hmm. found there to be any other patterns to a deer? You know, y- there's these commonly held beliefs, I can name a couple, like a, people say that a wounded, a mortally wounded buck won't run uphill, or lots of times a mortally <laughs> wounded or gut shot deer, he'll head to water. Have you found any of those things to be sure. true or, or anything else? Sure, absolutely. I mean, a lot, you know, and, you know, and I've had scenarios where, you know, where, you know, guy you know hunters they they know it's a gut shot deer and they call me and i go there with the dogs you know say 24 hours later you know we give the deer ample time um and you know and they say okay you know there's a pond down here there's a creek down here it's got water in it you know that's probably where he went and we'll i'll drop sis in on it and we'll start going that way and all of a sudden sis turns and she goes uphill down a deep ravine and up a ravine and all this and that and then we find the deer 180 degrees, 180 degrees away from the pond, you know? So, you, you know, a lot of times you can throw that theory out the window. I don't know why, why wouldn't it, you know, because when a deer gets shot in the gut, you know, they get septic, they get a fever and they want to go to water to cool off. And that's where a lot of, a lot of people find them, uh, you know, whether they're liver hit, you know, gut shot and they're shot in the intestine, whatever, you know, for the most part, you're going to find them in the water because that's where they, that's where they want to be. You know, that's what they're, they're trying they're trying their dangest to get to that water so they can cool off because they have fever. Um, but, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the rule of thumb, for the most part, if you do shoot a deer in the guts and you do not have a dog, 
um, and you can't track it, so you have very, you know you have no blood. Um, I would definitely I would definitely be walking walking the ditches or, or looking in nearby ponds for sure. Okay. Um, now, what about in a situation with a dog? Um, let's. Well, I guess what. When when should somebody call a dog? I guess maybe that's the better question. Well, should I call someone right away if I've got a shot that I don't Absolutely. feel is is ideal? Yeah, as, as soon as you make the shot, I mean, you know, anybody that that's that's archery hunting, there's a lot of us out there that have you know that have recovery dogs anymore. Um, we're pretty easy to find on social media, you know, whatever state you're hunting in, um, and 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 just have it in your phone. Even if you don't call them, just put it in your phone, deer tracker guy or bloodhound guy, and. And if you you make a shot, as soon as you get back to the truck, and you know, man, that's good, that's that's not a good shot. Call the tracker. You know, all of us are gonna. We want to help you find the deer, whether we can get to you or not. We want to help you find the deer. Um, so call the tracker. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna kind of give you an interview process. We're gonna ask you how high you were, ground blind, so forth, quartering two, quartering away. Uh, we're gonna run you through the gauntlet of questions, and you know. And, and that's going to help you, you know, play back the whole scenario in your mind. Um, the tracker is going to be able to say, okay, well, I think you hit him here, you know, or here and so forth. Um, they're going to tell you whether, whether you should go, you know, whether you should wait, whether they can come and help you, whether they can, uh, you know, maybe get a buddy that lives closer to you, you know, that has a dog, um, refer you to somebody else that can track for them. Um, but that would be the first thing I, could, you know, I would say that if you made a marginal shot, try and get a hold of somebody with a dog. Whether they don't even have to live in your own state. I mean, I bet I can vouch for a lot of the guys that have dogs. That you know, we just want to help people find their deer. Um, so if you can get a hold of anybody to uh, to run the, you know, run the process through them, let them help you start the process, and uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, and if if you can get a dog out there, you know, great. But you know, not a, not all trackers are. You know, for the most part, you know, nobody's doing it full-time tracking. So a lot of a lot of the guys have, you know, day jobs, you know, or, you know, working in the evenings or afternoons or whatever. So, you know, finding finding somebody that's got the time to, you know, drop everything they're doing and bring their dog is uh, is hard. But, uh, you know, but but if you can get a dog there, more power to you. You know, that's, that's the best thing to do is get let the dog run the track first before you go in there with your buddies and start grid searching around and, and, and try and, you know, and you're just walking all over the track and you're disturbing the, the area where the deers ran. And now, now then you bring the dog in and drop the dog down. Now the dog's tracking your buddies. It, you know, it's trying to, trying to track where the deer was. And, you know, you've, you've stepped on blood and didn't know it, or you stepped on, you know, some vials, gut matter and didn't know it. And you're tracking it, you're carrying it with your feet and you're going the wrong direction. You know, there's there's a lot of different, a lot of things that can go wrong when you uh, when you come in there and you start grid searching with buddies or start blood trailing with buddies, and then all of a sudden you want to back out and you want to call the dog. So, call the dog first. Uh, take that route if at all possible before you go in there with your buddies and start tracking. Yeah, this got me thinking about another situation, um, and this could be this could be whether you have a dog or not. I guess I'm I'm curious about what the right what the right answer is. Um, Let's say you shoot a deer, and then you got rain that's coming in soon afterwards, um, and maybe the shot's kind of marginal, um, but maybe you know it's kind of one of those in betweener shots. But rain's coming in, 
what do you do then? Do you push it because you want to get your, do you go in sooner than usual because you want to make sure you have some kind of blood or do you say, all right, I'm just going to assume there's not going to be any blood. So I want to make sure he at least doesn't get pushed farther away. So that I have a better chance when I am just kind of body searching the next day. How do you approach that situation? Um, you know, now, now that I've got the dogs, uh, before I had the dogs, I, w- I would have went in and looked because, you know, that's that's the way we blood trail, you know, is, is with our eyes. We need to be able to see which way the deer went. Um, so before I had the hounds, I probably would have uh, chanced it and, and went, there, went in there before the rain and uh, and hopefully recovered the deer. But now that I have the dogs, um, providing you're not, you don't get a monsoon and it's just, you know, just a big gully washer, actually a little bit of moisture and rain is is good for the dogs. It actually holds that scent tighter and holds that scent right, you know, right there where where it needs to be. Um, so a little bit of rain on on the blood and on the track itself is not bad for a dog. You know, I mean, if if that makes sense to you, because it, it kind of just uh, it just holds the scent right there uh, as far as you know. Say say it's dry, you know, when you shoot the deer and then it starts raining. It just it just it's like a sponge. You know, the, the, it, it just holds it right there where it needs to be versus the scent just kind of blowing all over the place and back and forth. And, you know, what a wounded deer gives off is that interdigital scent gland, you know, in their hooves. Um, when it's shot and it, it's mortally hit, it's given off that scent, uh, that waxy deposit is, is what it's given off. And that's, you know, that's what canines and predators and stuff, that's how they track the deer that are wounded. Um, you know, and that's the same thing that we train our dogs on. Uh, it's not so much blood; it's that waxy deposit that a dead deer gives off, uh, you know, out of their interdigital scent gland in their hooves. Hmm. Yeah. Speaking of understanding, you know, how you're training your dog. Anything you could recommend to someone out there who who has an interest in in getting their own tracking dog? Maybe a resource or organizations or anything like that. Or, or where should people go to start learning about how to do this? Um, there, there's a lot of stuff on the internet. I would say get books. Uh, John Genie, um, I've, I've got numerous books that he's, that he's written on, uh, recovering, you know, deer recovery. Um, and Casey Morgan, you know, the guy that I'm partners with, with Bloodhound Deer Trackers, he's, uh, he's a wealth of knowledge himself. I mean, he kind of started himself on it and, uh, learned through trial and error, um, on, you know, did a lot of stuff wrong and then he did a lot of stuff right. And, uh, he ended, you know, ended up getting a bloodhound. He started out with some other other breeds and ended up with a bloodhound, and uh, you know, and he's had nothing but success. You know, using using the bigger dogs. Um, I would say, figure out what what you want out of the dog. You know, if you're looking to get into it, um, are you going to use it just for yourself, and you know, and maybe a couple buddies, or are you actually going to you know provide a service for the local hunters in your area? Um, and, you know, figure out what kind of dog you, is it, you know, is this going to be a, you know, full-fledged working dog or, you know, or is this dog going to sleep on the couch with me? And, you know, maybe every once in a while we're going to track a little bit. Um, you know, I guess, you know, figure out, you know, what kind of dog you want. Um, you know, there's some great breeds out there. You know, a lot of guys are using, uh, Slovakian Kopos. Those, those, that's a great breed. Um, bloodhounds are great breeds. They're a little bit bigger dog. Um, um, uh, wire hair dachshunds, short hair dachshunds. You know, there, you know, a lot of guys recover, you know, hundreds of deer a year with, you know, using those 
small dogs. Um, you know, I have two bloodhounds. I've got uh, about an 85-pound uh, red female and uh, about a 65-pound black and tan female. And, uh, you know, that's that's just a dog I like for the terrain that I'm in over here. Um, we got a lot of deep ditches and, you know, just they just work better for me here, you know, in this hilly country over here. So, um, you know, and, and some of the some of the flat ground, you know, some of the other stuff for some people are, you know, maybe you don't want to, you know, need a long legged dog. Um, but as far as breeders, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I, you know, I was fortunate enough where, you know, Casey got me my first pup and I did a little bit of legwork on my own to find the next pup, um, just through social media. You know, there's, you know, there's, you know, if you want, if, you know, if you want to find the dog, uh, you know, to recover deer, you know, you'll find one, you know, they're, they're out there, um, you know, go and, uh, you know, put your hands on the pups and, and see the kind of environment that the dogs are in and uh, see where their parents come from, see what their parents are doing or the grand, you know, the grandparents of the, you know, of them, see what kind of bloodline they're, you know, they are, are they working dogs or are they show dogs or, um, you definitely want to stick with the working line of dogs. You know, that's the thing, uh, you know, the bloodhounds, they've kind of got a bad rep, you know, lately with, uh, you know, being more of a, a show dog versus a working line. And, uh, you know, and, and we're trying to, trying to reverse that a little bit. You know, we haven't, we haven't bred any of our, of our working dogs yet, but, uh, you know, that's something that, uh, we're probably going to do here in the future and hopefully, you know, put out some, uh, good working bloodhounds. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it, it really does. Every time I talk to anyone who has a dog like this and is able to do this kind of thing, it really is intriguing. Like it's tempting to, it, it's gotta be really nice just to have that tool in your, in your toolbox, whenever the, the situation arises. Sure. Yeah. I mean, sis, you know, sis is my older dog and, and she's, she's made us look like rock stars, you know, to be honest with you, some of the, some of the deer that she's recovered for us over the years. Um, you know, great, you know, like, you know, I'll tell guys, you're like, Oh man, we got to go in there and try and recover that deer. It's going to rain in the morning. And I'll tell them, Nope, don't worry about it. You know, if the rain's not going to bother the dog, you know, and knock on wood, you know, we go 250, 300 yards, and sis is standing over the over the deer, and you know she makes us look like a rock star. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's it's a lot of work, you know, especially in the early, you know, that first the adolescent years of having a pup. You know, it's about repetition, um, and and you got to get out there and you got to work them. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, if you if uh, you know you're not, if you want you know full time results, you can't can't put in part time work. Mm. Um, and you know, with sis, I had, uh, I, I did a, you know, her first two years was just, you know, a lot, a lot of work, a lot of, she did a lot of work in the, in the harness and, uh, you know, and it, it was a learning process for me too, as far as learning how to read her, you know, when she was locked in and, uh, and learning how to read her when she was, you know, out to lunch, so to speak, and, and not doing what she was supposed to do. But, uh. Now that she's four years old, you know, I do, I do some artificial tracks with her in the off season, you know, just to, to keep the, uh, keep the drive there. And, uh, you know, we do play a lot of games, tug of war and so forth like that, you know, with deer hides and deer hooves and, and stuff. And, uh, but now, you know, now it's, uh, you know, when I pull that harness out now and I, you know, and I put my bibs on, she knows it's time to go to work and, you know, she knows what time it is. That's, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And I like, yeah. uh, I like that, uh, phrase you had there that you you shouldn't expect full-time results if you're only putting in part-time work and i feel like that's uh that's a pretty good 
thing to keep in mind, even just as a deer hunter, right? Sure. You shouldn't be out sure. there expecting yep. the world if you're only putting in part-time work. So uh, yep. that's a good thing for all of us to think, keep in mind, uh, especially in the off-season when, when we get back to work as far as preparing our hunting properties. But we're in the midst of it right now, and we're kind of reaping what we've sowed. Hopefully we've all already Absolutely. put in the work, and yep. hopefully we're, we're just uh, enjoying the benefits of it now. But I guess – you know, yep. we, we got to wrap things up, Tim, but if you could leave, okay. if you could, if you could leave our listeners with any final reminder or word of wisdom or, or piece of advice as we're heading into this, you know, this is kind of like the Super Bowl of all of our whitetail seasons, right? Coming into the rut. Sure. Ever, a lot of people, like all of your goals and hopes and dreams for the hunting season might be riding on the next couple of weeks. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet, Tim, that you, that you think we need to make sure to touch on? Um, you know, I, th- I think we covered a lot, you know, and, and one thing, um, is, you know, envy, uh, I, you know, I don't know, or greedy, you know, I, you know, some guys are, you know, you see it all the time, you know, on social media, um, just cause somebody killed a big deer, that doesn't mean they're a bad person, you know, maybe they did all the work in the off season, you know, maybe they did all the work that you wish you would have did. And that's why you're mad at that person because they, they did what you, you know, what you should have did and you're mad because they killed the big deer. Um, and don't, don't smash, you know, other hunters just cause they're successful. Um, be happy for them. You know, it makes you feel better as a person when you're happy for somebody, um, you know, that was successful. Um, you know, we're, we're all in this together, um, to, you know, to grow our sport, to make it better than it was before we come into it. And, uh, you know, and that's my ultimate goal and that, that should be, all of our, you know, goals, you know, as sportsmen, you know, as outdoorsmen is to leave it better than we found it. And, you know, take your kids hunting, have fun with your kids. Um, don't make it so serious with your kids when you do get a chance to take them out and, uh, and be safe. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, everybody wear a harness, you know, you got, uh, you got responsibilities at home, you know, don't be, don't be selfish and climb up in a tree stand without a harness on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to see all the different things, if people want to connect with you, whether it be on the whitetail property side or see your videos with the whitetail edge or book a hunt or learn more about it, um, where can they go online to find all this stuff, Tim? Um, you can go to uh, whitetailproperties.com and uh, you can click on the agents and Tim Woods will pop up. Click on there. My contact information is on there. Uh, my email address, my my cell phone number. Uh, my cell phone number is nine three seven eight four four one five zero two. You know, I, I typically answer it to you know even for numbers that I don't know, just because I'm in the you know real estate business and uh, you know I'll talk to anybody about anything. Uh, you know, I'm, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, there's ways people find out how to get a hold of me. I'm not that hard to find. <laughs> All right. Very good. And then I guess I'm assuming then that's a good number to reach you at if uh, there's someone needs some blood tracking too, huh? Sure. Yep. And, uh, you know, keep in mind that, you know, this, uh, it's hard for me to get, you know, I do get a lot of calls and, uh, and, you know, I can tell you that things are really starting to heat up because I've got, uh, you know, I've gotten probably, I think it's five calls in the last two days for, uh, for deer recovery. So things are getting right. Yep. That's the, that's the number to reach me at, or you can text me, uh, and, uh, you know, I'll talk about your deer hit, talk about selling your piece of property, talk about anything. Awesome. Well, uh, 
I've enjoyed getting to talk to you uh, here tonight, Tim, and I appreciate you making the time to uh, to have this conversation right here in the busy part of the season. So thank you for that, Tim. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mark. I had fun. Absolutely. Well, uh, I wish you luck in uh, your future hunts and for all your all your hunters coming into camp here soon. And, um, man, let's stay in touch. 10-4. We'll do, bud. And that is a wrap. So before we go, though, Big thank you to our partners at Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Matthews Archery, Maven Optics, the Whitetail Institute of North America, Trophy Ridge, and Huntera Maps. And finally, of course, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to this episode, to listen to our Rut Radio episodes that come out each week as well. Um, man, really appreciate you guys being a part of this community. And if you're hitting up the woods, if you're going out soon, if you're hunting, which I certainly hope you are because things are getting good, wishing you all the best of luck. Hope you have a great hunt. Hope you have a safe hunt. And until next time, stay wired to hunt.